Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guest on today's podcast is a current serving Latter-day Saint mission missionary, Elder Shane Carpenter. Welcome to the podcast, Elder Carpenter. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful, and this is going to be wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, to give you a little background, Elder Carpenter is... Um, serving in the California Anaheim Mission. He is, we're recording this. We usually don't get into these details, but we're recording this um, during his dinner hour on Saturday, um, <laughs> September 24th, with permission of his mission president. Um, he returns home on August 4th and his home, uh, October 4th and his homecoming in Colorado is October 9th. The plan for this podcast is to come out um, right before he comes home on on uh, October 1st, um, he's going to share his story as a gay missionary. Um, the words, and Steve Young is the words he'd use if he were on the podcast right now. He calls you guys warriors and mm -hmm. heroes and trailblazers. But um, I've been acquainted with Elder Carpenter and his mom, Diane, your dad, Scott. And um, he. Uh, I'm just going to give a little overview of his story. He's one that felt impressed to come out to his family, to his bishop, to his stake president, um, called on a mission, um, but then came out to his mission president. I think most mission presidents are grateful they come out, but they say, don't talk about it, probably because they're worried how the mission react. But this mission president, we're going to get into that, said, please talk about it. And so he's the first missionary that I know in the church that's sort of talking about his sexual orientation and the broader picture of helping people to come unto Christ. Um, but that's probably come with some tension. He may get into that. I'll also give you a little idea of just some of the things. I like to give an overview. Um, he's going to talk about his MTC experience. He's going to talk about the first LGBTQ investigator he worked with. He's going to talk about his friend Jacob Boland. Um, he's going to talk about training missionaries on his mission. Um, and I remember how cool that is, that as part of creating Zion is um, we need to understand our LGBTQ friends, but um, having a gay missionary helps us create Zion. Talk about a member of a general authority that met with him and talking about the experience of training um, with his first trainee as an openly gay missionary. And so this is, I just keep using the word pioneer and trailblazer. It's our joint prayer, and we prayed before we started that this podcast to be helpful. Gilder Carpenter feels particularly for those of you that are, um, no, you're not straight. I'll use that way umbrella term. And, but have a fundamental testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ, want to help people feel the love of Jesus, but are wondering how this would work out for you. Um, Elder Park Carpenter is, this isn't theoretical, this is um, practical, what has been experienced on his mission. So with that, I'll turn it over to Elder Park Carpenter to start wherever you want to start. No, thank you so much. I appreciate everything that you've shared up until now. And like you mentioned, I've known Richard for some time now. And being able to be on here to share with all of you some of the experiences that I've had is more than a pleasure that I can even share with you. So I'm really, really grateful. And I hope, like Richard said, that anyone listening, whether it be a parent of a child who's wanting to serve, whether 
you're wanting to serve yourself or if you have a friend who wants to serve. My hope is that some of the things that we discussed today can give you some of the hope, doctrinal hope, not just cultural hope, but doctrinal hope that the Savior absolutely can provide a way because he specializes in the impossible which I love. That's one of my favorite things in the world. So I hope that we can have just a wonderful conversation today. I'm not always great at just simply sharing my experiences <laughs> just in and of themselves. Um, and so I hope that we can have a good conversation and, and that all of you can join us. I'm, I'm excited. So I know that one of the first things that might be worth mentioning is my MTC experience because the MTC is where it all starts. That's where I began my mission. And there's a lot to unpack there, but briefly, I actually made a post about this recently. One of my biggest fears for my whole mission was my companions. That was perhaps my biggest fear was feeling like I could have companions who wouldn't feel as though they had a burden having to serve much less live with someone who is so entirely different than them or at least feeling that they're so entirely different. And so that was a fear that I had. But my MTC experience was a wonderful one. I remember meeting my first companion. And we were. this was in October of 2020 when this happened. And so it was right in the height of COVID. And we were not in person. The entirety of my MTC experience was online. And I remember the first time I met him, we just got to know each other. It was fun. And I was thinking, I'm not going to come out to my companion at first. Um, I know that I want to be open and I already was out of the closet, but I don't plan on coming out to my companion right away. I, I want this to be organic. I don't want it to feel forced. Um, and he made it or organic because the next day, the second day as companions, he, during our companionship study online over a video call, he asked, Elder Carpenter, I saw that you made a post about some type of FHE for all or something like that that you do at your home. What's that all about? And my heart dropped. I had no idea what to say because I was already out of the closet. I came out in 2019, but the prospect of having a conversation about this with a missionary companion, whether we were in person with each other or not, that was scary. And so I made the split decision there that I was going to stay true to the commitment I had made to myself and to my family and to the Lord that I would serve authentically as myself so that I could become something better. And so I came out to him and we ended up having a really, really tender experience. He ended up sharing with me that he had a very close family member who was a member of the LGBTQ community who was really struggling with their identity and that he didn't know how he was going to help this family member get through. And he expressed to me that meeting, being able to be companions with me in and of itself was something of a blessing to him. And I didn't even know it. And so from the second day of being set apart as a missionary, the Lord gave me something that gave me hope. This almost sounds selfish, but he gave me something <laughs> to continue forward so that I could give everything of myself for the sake of others. So I'm forever grateful that my MTC companion was willing to call me out on a post I had made um, a 
it was maybe a year or two prior to that experience and that we were able to have that conversation. So it was, it was really wonderful. A couple thoughts is um, listeners, and I want to make sure Elder Carpenter is most the thought. Um, to be honest, I'm feeling Elder Carper's missionary spirit. We've never had a set apart missionary on the podcast, and there's a power that comes with that. That um, even though I'm in Utah and he's in California, and <laughs> I'm feeling just the spirit of a set apart missionary. Um, it's very um, touching to me. I'm also. Um, I, Elder Carpenter said something powerful that I don't think was something he planned to say word for word. Um, so I could authentically as myself, so I could become something better. Um, but you being authentic, um, allowed your companion at that time and then you to become something better. And that's really powerful. Um, it takes so much courage to be authentic, but it then creates a connection to be able to help people. And it takes so much courage because there's no role models for you. I rec- I hope our listeners are recognizing Elder Carpenter when he went on his mission. There is nobody um, that has done what Elder Carpenter has done in our church and um, that I'm aware of. But my guess is that this um, will be a way forward for many other missionaries and many other mission leaders that are wondering, what do I do with an LGBTQ missionary? Um, and I love the way your mission president um, and your mission president's wife have, have used your gifts to help grow mm-hmm. the mission. So I love that MTC experience. Keep sharing more of your story. Yes. But thank you so much. You mentioned something that I really, really love when you were talking about being authentic that resonated with me. And I want to expound on that if I can. Um, I've noticed this interesting balance on my mission where any missionary, when they serve, comes out and we there's this phrase that comes from President Hinckley when he was on his mission and he wrote to his parents because he was concerned about quite a few things. He was stressed and his father sent him a letter that simply said, lose yourself and get to work. And that is really, that's a powerful principle because when we're missionaries, we have, we all have the same purpose, no matter who we are. I may be an openly gay missionary, but my purpose is is the exact same as my companions who is very much straight. (laughs) We have the same purpose to invite others to come unto Jesus Christ through faith, repentance, baptism, the gift of the Holy ghost and enduring to the end. And we learn about these things through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so we all have the same purpose, but when you mentioned authenticity, what came to my mind was the fact that while we're all giving of ourselves, that's exactly what we're doing. We're giving of ourselves. We're not, I'm not giving of my companion. I'm not giving of another missionary that I meet. I'm not giving of my parents at home. I'm giving of myself completely. I'm leaving it all on the table so that the savior can take that and provide a miracle for someone else. And so For that reason, I think that when a missionary, there have been so many individuals who have served a mission who are not out of the closet. And by no means do I think even for a moment that their mission experience was any less or anything of that nature. Um, Again, I think of Charlie Bird or Ben Shalati and many others who have served their missions and they did so honorably. 
because they were in a position where the Lord could take their talents and could use those talents to be a blessing for someone else. And for me, in my experience, I've learned that giving of myself entirely included giving openness, if you will, or giving visibility to who I am while being a missionary. To kind of tie it all together, I've noticed, I'm going to pull my tag off here. I know not all of you can see it, but on my tag, I have both my name. Oh, I have both my name. Excuse me. Sorry. On my tag, I have both my name and the name of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There's two names, Jesus Christ and my name. The more important of those two names is, I would say, Jesus Christ, because we're representing him. But it's interesting that it has another name there too, which is, in my case, Elder Carpenter. And when I represent Jesus Christ, I'm not going out of my way to represent him in the exact same way that my companion does. The only person that I'm trying to be exactly like is Jesus Christ. And I do that best by recognizing the other name on my tag, which is my own. If I see my own name there, Elder Carpenter, there's no way that I can best represent Jesus Christ, the other name on that tag. There's no other, there's no better way that I can represent Jesus Christ by being Elder Carpenter and by giving everything of that name. So I think about that perspective and I think about how powerful that is because we are not cookie cutters. We are here to give our, of our talents. And I love that. So you reminded me of that. And I just wanted to share that. I love briefly. that. Um, talk about your friend, Jacob, or whoever you want to go next with your story. Yes, absolutely. Um, I know you talked briefly about my mission leaders, my mission president and his wife. They are wonderful. Any individual who has ever served a mission, I wish you could have had these two as your mission leaders because they're incredible. Um, of course, I'm joking, not to take away from your from your own mission leaders, but from those for those who would like to serve a mission, I so hope and wish that you could have mission leaders like mine. Um, I say, I don't mean to sound prideful in saying so, but I cannot express enough love for my mission president. They, I can't share all of their story because I have not been, I have not been given permission to do so, but they too have someone close in their life who has struggled with their identity, who has struggled on a mission, actually someone close to them, um, in their family circle who has served a mission and, and had a very negative mission experience due to their identity and due to their experience. And because of that, when I first met the Platts, and they actually already knew that I was gay because when I had worked with my stake president before I turned my papers in or after I had turned them in as well, he had sent a note to the missionary department. Um, and the missionary department, once I had been assigned to the California Anaheim mission, my mission leaders had been notified. and. In, a, in an interesting way, that ended up being a blessing for me because I think some people might see that prospect of the missionary department letting mission leaders know that they have a gay missionary coming. Some people I could see seeing that as, oh, well, you know, they're, they're treating me in a special way where I need to be kept with a close eye, if that makes sense. But thank goodness that's not at all what happened them letting my mission leaders know in advance ended up being a huge blessing because given their experience with their family member 
who had struggled on their mission. When I came, it allowed them to embrace me and to be able to say, hey, we're going to do everything we can to help you have an experience that isn't anything all that different from any other missionary that comes to serve under my mission leaders. Uh, They will often talk about us missionaries in this mission like we're their kids, which I love. (laughs) And they will often say that they do not love any of their kids more than another. And for them to do their best to be there for me and give me an opportunity to be myself has allowed not only my wings to to expand and to fly, but to therefore help the Lord's story be something that can fly through me for others. Um, And so my mission leaders, they are miracles in my life. And if I didn't have them, I say this with so much confidence. If I did not have them, I don't think I would have finished my mission or gotten to where I am today because they were exactly what I needed. And the Lord knew that. So I'm grateful for them. (laughs) They are wonderful. And I hope that they can listen to this and hear this because I love them. So... (laughs) Um, thank you, President Sister Platt. I think you mentioned their name. They've been your mission yes. pr- leaders for the whole time. And thank you for your efforts to use the talents of all your missionaries to help others come into Christ and um, create Zion and not have fear in this space. And um, do you mm. know, I don't know if you know this, but some may be wondering, is that church policy, if I come out to my stake president, that they will mm. notify the mission? Uh, missionary department, the missionary department will know my notify my mission leaders. Or do you know if that's policy or just kind of a case by case situation? That's a really good question. And while I don't know all the details, what I do know is that in my particular case, I had actually made a request to my mother and I had made a request to our stake president that he reach out to Salt Lake and inform them. And the reason for this was because my mother was actually concerned about my physical safety, not just the experiences I would have with companions or members, non-members, or any of the other relationships I might have that had the prospect of being negative. She was worried about my physical safety because there are places in the world in which we have missions and missionaries going where being vulnerable and open about your identity in its fullest like this could genuinely be a dangerous thing. Um, not too many places, but there are some, yeah, there are some. <laughs> um, not to cause for fear, but that was something that my mom recognized and she, it was important to her that I would go somewhere that I was physically safe, regardless of any of the other concerns that we had. And so my stake president made a note about that that I was not only gay, but that I planned on being open, that I planned on being willing to have difficult conversations with my companions, with other missionaries, with members, with my mission leaders. And so they sent that note. And so I think under that circumstance, that may have been part of why my mission leaders received a note. But in all um, transparency, I don't know if that's exact policy or not. Um, I love your mother, Diane, and your dad, Scott, and Diane's such, you know, I'm a little more connected to your mom. She talks about Mm -hmm. this on social media. Um, but I love that. And, um, I think Elder Carpenter, I would invite, you know, I really like the idea of author your own story and write your own story. So 
I think you've got to take the principles from Elder Carpenter's story, but don't, you may, I don't think mm. either is he inviting it to do it just like Elder Carpenter. You may get some spiritual impressions to be closeted all the way through your mission. And, and I love where you gave a shout out to Ben and Charlie that they were incredibly effective missionaries closeted. Mm. Um, Elder Carpenter sounds like he's received multiple impressions to be open and honest and set that expectation as part of the doing your mission papers that I want to be open about this. Um, I want to be open to who I am. So um, I just want to create yeah. a feeling that um, everybody's got to, got to do this away. And if you feel like you're going to be closeted, you can still be a great missionary. Mm. Um, but it's just, every story's a little bit different. And it sounds like the missionary department's not going to out you if you don't mm -hmm. want to be outed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of logic <laughs> in your story of why um, tell us, well, I'd love to hear, um, you know, more about your f first interactions with the Platts, because um, they know yeah. you're gay. And um, one of the things that's very different about your missionary experience, a lot of missionaries I've had on the podcast, sometimes the first person they come out to is their mission president. That's often mm -hmm. a good experience. But the general counselors don't tell your companions, don't tell anybody. And I right. think they're worried about protecting them. I don't think it's like, this is a bad thing. Um, but this was a very different experience for you. Um, your mission leaders wanted you to talk about it and you wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So did that start right? Just talk to us more about how it all came about. Yes, absolutely. That's so true. When I first met the Platts for the very first time, when we all arrived at the airport, um, something that my mission leaders do, which I love, is they take a moment with every new missionary one-on-one. -on -one. Because our mission is so geographically small. We have, it's the second or third smallest geographical mission in the world, actually. And that allows my mission leaders to be very one-on-one -on -one with all of us, which I love. It's the best thing in the world. And so when I met with them for the first time, I'm happy to report, actually, that my experience was no different than any other missionary. Because when I first met them, I didn't know for certain if they knew that I was gay or not, but I did know that I had made mention of my sexuality as did my stake president in my mission papers and in other circumstances. And so I assumed that they probably did know. And later as we had conversations after this first interaction, and I learned that they did know it was actually a blessing to me that while they knew they didn't go out of their way to try and treat me any differently, they treated me as one of their missionaries coming in and they wanted me to know as they did with any other missionary coming in that they were a safe space for me and for them and that we could always turn to them if we had problems and that was huge now later on we had a meeting i remember one time this was in my first transfer and i wanted to talk to them about the fact that i was open I wanted to let them know that I planned on being open with my companions and other missionaries. And I just wanted to hear their thoughts about it. And so we had this visit and they shared with me some of the experiences that they had with this close family member that I talked about earlier. And then they simply shared with me that they didn't really have any particular concerns about what my experiences would be like, because they already knew that missionary work is hard. <laughs> 
no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, a mission is hard. <laughs> and that's not to downplay the potential fears of going on a mission, being open in the LGBTQ community. It's not to d- diminish that. But they first pointed out that a mission is hard no matter who you are and what your story is. A mission is simply difficult. It's designed to be. And then they expressed, and this did mean a lot to me, that if I did ever have any experiences with a companion or another missionary or even a member in a ward in which we were serving, that was negative. One in which I was being marginalized or one in which rumors were spreading or anything, that they wanted me to notify them and that they wanted to be involved not to be nitpicky about things, but that they had every intention of my mission experience being no less than anyone else's because none of my other straight um, companions or missionaries that I've worked with, their identity is, is not something that they may initially be worried about. Um, and so they noticed that and said, we want your experience to be a positive one in which you can fulfill your purpose, which is to invite others to come unto Christ um, as yourself. And it was later on throughout my first two transfers that it became more apparent that I could have experiences with members of the LGBTQ community who were members of the church or who weren't that other missionaries might not be able to have organically. Um, that became apparent later. So I don't think we ever had a conversation at the beginning of my mission where the plots actually said, we want you to go out and to share exactly this part of yourself. It's not that they weren't against it, but their priority was, we want you to be safe, of course, be who you are. And we want you to have a positive experience where you can fulfill your purpose, just like everyone else. Um, and that was essentially it. So there, were, there was no, don't talk to anyone about it. Um, don't talk to your companions. They weren't worried about that because for them, if one of my companions had a problem, they were like, we can talk to them about it. You don't have to worry. (laughs) And that was awesome. (laughs) I love that. And I love where it just came organically. And um, especially as you just got more experience in the mission. Um, I don't um, work. I do want to come back to your friend. Yes. um, But I also also want to come back to more about coming out to your companions and how this then mm. became, you led to trainings in the mission. So maybe let's, we'll come back to listeners to more about coming out to your companions training and the trainings you did mission wide via zoom and other and meetings, but let's circle back to some of your investigators, some of your friends you taught. Yes, absolutely. Um, and this actually flows really nicely because one of the very first experiences I can remember in which I got to meet a member of the LGBTQ community and be a part of their process in learning about who Jesus Christ is was probably in my second or third transfer. So I wouldn't have been much more than four months into the mission and some sister missionaries in the mission reached out to me and they said, Hey, we have this individual who has been looking into the church for quite some time, a little over a year. And I would share her name, but again, I have not been given permission, so I won't. But um, they said, we'd love for you to join us if you could on a visit so that you could simply share some of your experiences and let her know that she absolutely can be here. 
Um, she is lesbian. And so we scheduled a time. I went over and I got to meet her. And this individual shared with me that her biggest concern had almost nothing to do with all of the gospel principles. She didn't feel that the gospel of Jesus Christ was marginalizing her. She felt like people had the potential to marginalize her based off of choices that she might make in the future after having become a member. She really wanted to be baptized, but she felt that if she pursued a relationship with another woman, that it would be received negatively and that the relationships she had already made in church would be ruined and broken. And on top of that, she was simply concerned about not being able to be sealed with another woman in the temple. And this was probably the biggest blockade for her. I remember we were sitting out front of a church building and we started the visit at maybe 8 PM. It was a later visit. And so the sun was already down and because of some mission rules, it was me and my companion and the sister missionaries who were working with her and her. And we were sitting outside in the parking lot by ourselves. And she just unloaded her story about different things she had already learned from the missionaries and how wonderful it had been for her, how much she already loved scriptures and how much she already loved the people she had met at church that she didn't, she, she wanted to be a part of it. She wanted to actively be a part of something bigger than herself, but she didn't feel that she could do so if she couldn't be herself. And so I remember she asked about why she couldn't be sealed in the temple. And that might be something that some of the different listeners would be curious about. You know, I'm an openly gay missionary. Surely there would be members or non-members or even missionaries who would say, okay, well, what would you say to someone who wants to be sealed in the temple to someone of their same sex? But that's not an option right now. And yes, I'm an openly gay missionary and I'm grateful for my experiences. But my answer was no more ground shaking or ground shattering than anyone else's. And that's, I'm not trying to be negative, but I simply told her, I don't know exactly how it's going to work out. But when I think about baptism and when I think about becoming a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is not perfect, the church is not perfect. But when I think about being a part of it, I think about more than just joyful communal experiences with other members. Those are good and needed and necessary. But I think about things that have eternal weight and worth, one of which being the celestial kingdom. There's been a couple instances where I've met people who say, how could you even invite an LGBTQ person to be baptized when you know that you yourself are not going to be sealed in the temple to another man, at least to your knowledge right now. And I suppose for me, baptism is about choosing to follow Jesus Christ and in doing so, receiving the promise in return, two things. One, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and that your life will be guided in a more momentous way than you may have ever imagined. The gift of the Holy Ghost, sometimes I think that the gift of the Holy Ghost is underrated. True. <laughs> People, I think, sometimes underestimate 
the power and the joy that comes from having the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's one thing that I think of when I think of baptism. When we are baptized, we commit to follow Jesus Christ. And in return, we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, or rather his guidance to always be with us and his love and his joy, his peace. I also think about the celestial kingdom. To enter the celestial kingdom, we need to have faith, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and endure to the end. Exaltation and salvation are two separate things. They're both things that we strive for. But when I invite someone to be baptized, I'm not inviting them to be baptized because I expect that exaltation will make perfect sense to them. I invite them to be baptized because I want them to be able to live with Jesus Christ again. Because if I'm going to go there, and if people I love are going to be there, like my family and friends, it would be beautiful. But if my family and friends aren't there, it wouldn't be worth it. And so when I think about these people that I've met, like this girl that I met in front of this church building later in the night, hearing her all of her experiences, to me, it's about living with Christ again. And it's about having that gift, that underrated gift that is the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I just love that. I love that. Um, I'm trying to visualize being an LGBTQ investigator and how helpful it would be to me to see people like me in the church and even serving a mission. Um, and that just would give me a feeling that maybe I belong here. But I love the doctrine you taught about our mission, your responsibility as a missionary is to help people come into Christ. And as you were describing that and trying to help her, just maybe the thought line upon line came to my mind is, mm. um, you know, baptism is the gate. It's the beginning of the process of making it the celestial kingdom. And you may not know how the rest of it's all going to work out, especially she was honest with you about um, perhaps her life will find her in a same-sex marriage and how will that work out when she's in the right. church. And I think... I love the way you just taught line upon line. This is about coming into Christ. You may not know your whole future, but you may know enough that being baptized, receiving the Holy Ghost, and will help you be a better person. Your gifts are needed in our community. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And I love that you are a resource um, and, a, and have this sort of superpower to relate to people. Um, talk, you've got another friend you've mentioned by name, Jacob Boland. If you're ready to go yes. on from that story, I don't want to rush you, but you could talk about Jacob Boland. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, Jacob, he is incredible. I met Jacob and he had some of some similar concerns that this other friend that we just spoke about had. Jacob, he's around our age, he's young single adult age, and he's going to college here in Southern California. And when we met him, it was actually a cool story that unfortunately I don't have time to completely dive into about how we found him. But long story short, um, a good friend of his from high school is the boyfriend of a sister that I, a sister missionary that I worked closely with in social media efforts in our mission here. And so Jacob Boland, he was involved heavily. He's a very religious person and he always had been, and he always believed in God. And he was going to just a non-denominational Christian church. And he had some very negative experiences 
in which he was made fun of, shunned, told quite literally to his face that he would go to hell simply because of who he is. And unfortunately, far too many people can relate to that. And he was done with it. So he, a thought came to his mind about this friend from high school. And so he reached out to this friend who's a member of the church and who was serving his mission at the time, actually. And this friend said, oh, don't you worry. I've got you. I will set you up with the perfect people who can help you out. And so he made um, means by which myself and my companion at the time, who happened to be in the area that Jacob lived, received a referral from this missionary who was the friend of Jacob in high school. And so we meet Jacob the first time. We get to know him a little bit. And we learn pretty quickly that he also was openly gay. He'd come out of the closet a little while before. And just to give you a little bit more context about Jacob, that is, I think, significant to know, is that Jacob in his life has faced a whole lot more than just the social struggles or pressures that come um, being gay or being a member of the LGBTQ community while also being faith, religious and faithful. He has also struggled with a lot of physical hardships. He, when I met him and over the course of teaching him, he had first stage heart failure. Wow. He had liver failure, kidney cancer. He was going deaf in both of his ears and ended up going almost completely deaf in one of them. He had knee problems um, and he had chronic seizures all stacked on top of each other. And so Jacob, regardless of his sexuality, Jacob was a, and is an extraordinarily inspiring individual to me because he's the perfect example of enduring to the end. As we continued to meet with him and share with him about the Book of Mormon and about the church, he clicked with it pretty quickly. And we had multiple conversations about being gay in the church and what that looked like for me and what that could look like for him. But honestly, part of why his story is so wonderful is not because Jacob reached some magnificent and revelatory conclusion about how it would be possible for him to be gay in the church. His story to me is so magnificent because Jacob Boland read the entire Book of Mormon in under two weeks because when he started reading it, he committed himself that he wanted to know if that book was true. And so he picked it up and he didn't stop reading. And he read the entire thing in less than two weeks and gained a witness for himself that that book is the word of God. Regardless of any of the things that he had heard of, because if you look for something bad or untruthful or twisted about any truth, about any religion, you will find it. That's, I think, simply how the world works. If you look for the bad, you'll find it. But Jacob looked for the good and he found the good and Christ gave him the good as he read that book. And as he continued to learn more about the gospel of Jesus Christ specifically, I remember we met with him as he was maybe halfway through the Book of Mormon or so. And this was in December of 2021. And we sat down with him and, and he said, Elders, I, I think I should get baptized. And we just talked to him about that for a minute. 
And I talked to him a little bit about how I didn't know exactly what his experience would be like at church every week, given that he was openly gay and his family was not supportive of him joining the church. They actually had expressed that if he were to be baptized, they would disown him. And so for him to make this decision, he was risking relationships with his family and he was risking potentially having negative cultural experiences because those do happen. But to him, it was about more than just having fun with other people at mutual activities. <laughs> it was about taking the sacrament every week to renew the promise that he had made with Jesus Christ to follow him and to become something that he could never imagine through and with him. Um, and so, and I don't mean to claim that our sexualities is something that will change because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I don't know how everything will work out in the eternities. Um, but I do know that when we include Jesus Christ in our life right now, everything changes for good eventually. And Jesus Christ, he allowed me to see that through Jacob. And so Jacob was, was baptized on January 1st of this year. That was the date that he set for himself. And it was one of the most beautiful baptisms I have ever been a part of. And I'm grateful for his example to me. Um, I know that something else, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Richard, but I do have a good transition for something, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> well, I just, I think of the gathering of Israel and I think of um, Jacob's Israel and um, and our own members that identify as LGBTQ Israel. So sometimes we talk about the gathering of Israel and we imagine sort of people in our mind, but I hope we're imagining people like Jacob. And I hope we're imagining LGBTQ people um, within that are already members of our church and what we could do to help them as we gather Israel to help them feel like they belong. I also like this idea that God is in the details. Um, that mm. Here's Jacob um, through this friend, get you getting a referral, you being in the area. I bet Jacob's, um, I'd love to hear, I mean, if Jacob were on the podcast, I bet he was just stunned to know that one of the missionaries that was teaching him is openly gay after that experience at his other church and what kind of a message that sends to him. I'd also, your straight companion going, wow, this, I prayed that I would help people come into Christ. Um, but now my gay companion is helping. We're both helping equally, mm -hmm. but my gay companion is doing something here that I can't do as a straight companion. And it's not theoretical. We'll welcome you. You can talk from real lived experience. And so the comfort that would give Jacob, and you're honest, you said it won't necessarily always be easy because it hasn't been for you. Mm -hmm. um, but you being open allowed that conversation to happen. And I would guess your straight companion before he left on his mission thought, I didn't think this would happen, but I did want people to get baptized. So I'm thrilled this is happening. I'm putting Absolutely. words into your companion's mouth but i most companions most missionaries are pretty excited when someone gets baptized and it sounds like that baptism was a terrific day um so yeah keep sharing where you want to go next yes no thank you so much and thank you for your thoughts there i really appreciated that and i've had some wonderful companions and i now that i'm at the end of my mission i can say oh i can say with some confidence that the Lord really is in the details and he knows who our companions are. And I've been 
almost stupidly blessed, if I can say that with my companions. But I'm pulling something up here really quickly that you reminded me of. And this was something that I shared with Jacob, as well as with the first friend that I talked about earlier. This was an experience, to give you a little bit of context, I had an experience with my first trainee. I was called the train right out of training. And when my companion came in, I learned pretty quickly that this new trainee, this new missionary, he did not personally know up until this point in his life, another LGBTQ person at all. (laughs) And so... For him to get on his mission, which is already a scary prospect, for him to get onto his mission and learn, oh my goodness, my trainer is an openly gay missionary. What am I going to do? <laughs> you know, some of those thoughts that may have been going through his head, I, that was something that I had to work through too. We both had to kind of figure out how we could mesh together. And I'm happy to say that we're very good friends and I love him so much. He's wonderful. But that was a hard two transfers for both of us as we found a balance together. And one of the most powerful experiences during that companionship was the, I believe it was the general conference of that year of 2021, April, I think it was. And President Ballard, we went over actually with this first friend that I had spoken about earlier. She was baptized. She chose to be baptized. And that was also a wonderful experience that I won't dive too much into now. Um, But it was going to be her first general conference coming up after that. And she invited us to watch it with her. And so me and my trainee, we went to a place with with a couple of other missionaries and her to watch general conference. And President Ballard gave a talk in that particular conference. And if I may, I'd love to actually pull up something that he said in his talk, because this was a revelatory experience for me. It honestly changed my confidence and my willingness to serve as an openly gay missionary because of this one thing that President Ballard shared. In his talk, He spoke about, and this was, I think, Saturday afternoon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I could be wrong about that. I'll look for it right after I share the quote. But he was addressing single adults and talking about the unfairness of life and the fears that many single adults in all sorts of circumstances have in regard to not being married and not being with a significant other. And he gave four promises in this talk. And the first two, oh my goodness, they, they were monumental for me. They were so cool. I remember sitting there on the couch watching and I just broke down because it was the first time in my life that it seemed as though a prophet of God said something in relation to exaltation that I had never heard before. And so he said two particular things, and I'll just read this here. He said, addressing single adults, quote, first, scriptures and Latter-day prophets confirm that everyone who is faithful in keeping gospel covenants will have the opportunity for exaltation. President Russell M. Nelson taught in the Lord's own way and time 
no blessing will be withheld from his faithful saints. The Lord will judge and reward each individual according to heartfelt desire as well as deed. And I'd heard that much before, but it was the second particular promise that I had never heard before and just gave me so much hope. President Ballard then said, quote, second, the precise time and manner in which the blessings of exaltation are bestowed have not all been revealed, but they are nonetheless assured. End quote. This to me struck me so hard and I had not felt the spirit so powerfully on my mission until that point. And I learned in that moment, the spirit spoke to me that that second promise was a promise that the Lord will yet reveal more about exaltation that we do not yet know. That's not to say that what we know about exaltation, a man and a woman being sealed in a holy temple of God, that that will innately change. I don't know how everything will work out, but this was a promise from the Lord that we don't know everything yet. And that, as he said, literally here, the precise time and manner in which the blessings of exaltation are bestowed or given have not all been revealed, that there's more yet to be revealed. That's huge. <laughs> I never heard that before. I, I just sat there thinking, no way, no way is the Lord promising us right now that he will give us more about exaltation, which is directly tied to the romantic and eternal partnership between two people, between a man and a woman. And so I wasn't given a specific answer or detail about exaltation in the future, but this allowed me to go forward with a promise from Jesus Christ that more will be given and that I can share that promise with others. And so I remember sharing that promise with Jacob Bolin later and other individuals that I've met that I don't know how that promise will be fulfilled, but if the Lord does not break his promises, which he doesn't, I know that he will fulfill this one too. And that more regarding exaltation will be given to us. And that we ought not to think that we are simply the black sheep of the fold, but that Christ always goes out for the one. He has never broken that promise. And this quote gave me hope for that. I love that. Um... Listeners, I love things that give people hope, and I love Elder Ballard's remarks there and and the hope it generated. I think that was directly addressed to single people. Um, and I love your nuance there. I think it's faithful that um, you're open that um, I kind of call it a 40-chapter book, that mm. the church's relationship with LGBTQ members is like a 40-chapter book. I don't know what chapter in, and I don't know the final chapters, I support current doctrine, and I'm not advocating for doctrinal changes, and I know you're not either. Um, but things could change. I don't. I think neither is inviting people to make personal decisions thinking the doctrine will change to sort of catch up with their decisions. Um, but I love the hope you're building that um, there will be yet things revealed. And so I think that's a faithful position to be especially in this space, but I do love things like Elder Ballard that give hope. Mm -hmm. And I love you teaching that and how helpful it is. I also think of the term peculiar people. And mm -hmm. we often talk about that and kind of give examples of that. But to me, um, 
we're peculiar as a people, at least what's happening in the California Anaheim mission for your role there and your ability to reach Jacob. And um, I think of that sort of cultural thing that we talk about a peculiar people, but if you ask Jacob, I think he'd say, yeah, we're pretty peculiar because he had yeah. a very different experience. And um, so he would use that. I'm putting words into Jacob's mouth, but <laughs> um, so that was a terrific segment. And I love your awareness and your ability to talk about conference talks. And we're coming up to conference. This, this mm. podcast is being released conference weekend. So I hope you're listening. Um, if you're listening to conference this weekend, I hope you're also listening. If you're hearing this podcast, I hope you're listening to conference. Uh, mm-hmm. But a lot of people listen just after conference finished. Um, talk about, I, I want you to talk about, this is one of the things, um, I'd like to first talk about companions. So one of the fears most LGBTQ future missionaries is how, how are my companions going to respond? If I actually come out, are they going to slug me? Um, mm-hmm. Are they going to get weirded out? Or they think I'm going to be hitting on them? And And I'm a lot, my experience is a lot sort of, have all those dis- thoughts in their brain before they go. So you may have had those thoughts, but talk about the reality of your experience and how it's been. Absolutely. I've been extraordinarily blessed with the companions that I have. Like you mentioned earlier, God works in details and he has over the course of my mission. One strategy that may be helpful. And this might just sound more like a statistical thing that you could try doing because it worked for me (laughs) is I had a wonderful Bishop. I have to give credit to my Bishop for this one. My Bishop, before I left, I had given a departing talk in sacrament meeting. And in it, I talked about some of my experiences leading me up to serving a mission and being willing to go to invite others to come unto Christ authentically as myself. And what that meant to me and how I planned on going about doing that. And that part of my plan was that that plan would inevitably change because Jesus Christ knows me better than I know myself. (laughs) But that, again, one of my biggest concerns was my companions and that I planned to love them and to learn from them. And that was in my talk. And my bishop said, you should have this talk handy with you. And when you go, Simply give your talk to your companions and have them read it when you first meet with them and allow them to read through your experiences and see that you were not simply defined only by your sexual identity or by any preference that you may have in the same way that I personally hope I would not define any of my companions by their sexual identity or preferences. That when we come together, again, I think of my own companion right now we're wonderful. We're super compatible. Um, he's awesome. And we're both quirky in our own ways. We're very different. We complement each other very well and missionary work. There's beauty and joy to be found in missionary work when there is diversity. There's something that you said one time, Richard, you made a post and I don't know if you originated this particular line, but I saw you share it. (laughs) And it was something along the lines of, you know, finding beauty in Unity in diversity rather than unity in sameness. Yeah. Yeah. Unity in diversity rather than unity in sameness. And I've seen that as a trend with my companions that I'm always pleasantly surprised to learn all about the different backgrounds and experiences and perspectives that my companions have. 
And all of my companions have been very straight. (laughs) They've all been very straight and they've all offered perspectives that I never would have had. And that individuals that we've taught absolutely needed in the same way that they needed my experiences as well. And so as I've shared my talk, I actually only had to share this departing talk that I gave before I left. I only had to share it with my first two companions because after that, the whole mission knew (laughs) that I was gay. And anytime I got a new companion after that point, unless I was training them, um, they already knew. And so we were able to just have a open and transparent conversation, or at least I always made it a goal. Something that I always made a goal to do was that anytime I got a new companion, especially if we didn't actively know each other very well, because we had never been in the same zone or same district, that I would take a moment and let them share their story with me and ask if they would then allow me to share my story with them so that we could have this opportunity to just get to know each other and recognize that we're here for the same reason that I'm not here because I'm trying to accomplish something opposed to what any other straight missionary is, but that I'm here to invite others to learn about eternity and how they can find joy in eternity. And my hope is that my companion companion and I can find that unity in inviting others with the diversity of our sexualities, among many other things. There's many other diversities that come with companionships. This is just one of them. And so when we see it as just one of them, it allows you to look at the whole spectrum of color that exists in companionships and how beautiful that is. So my experiences have been overwhelmingly positive and I cannot express how grateful I am. Um, I have, they haven't all been positive, <laughs> but even the negative experiences through open communication and relying on the Lord, we were able to grow together. And I know that that was how it was meant to go. So I'm grateful for those. Um. I'm grateful if you're bishop back in Colorado, your stake president back in Colorado, credit to both of you leaders for um, nurturing Elder Carpenter. I sense um, your ability not to create shame for who he is, um, but wanting to support who he is as he entered his mission. And then President Platt and Sister Platt, your mission leaders, also not wanting to create shame and setting a culture where your needed member of the missionary force. Um, we both know difficult stories. I've recently did a podcast with a missionary who came out as mission president and the mission president um, wanted to kind of warn the missionaries that um, they had a gay companion, even maybe call the missionaries parents to let them know to protect them from this gay missionary. And um, I hope we're past, if leaders are listening, I hope we're past that, that um, we're, following the model here that's occurring with Elder Carpenter because it allows Elder Carpenter to bring people into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a good thing. And um, who he is is it is not about shame, but it's about um, beauty and diversity and using our different attributes to reach people and to bring them unto Christ. So everybody knows that a mission's purpose is to bring people into Christ, but at times this part about you is a way to help people feel God's love. Mm. Um, And I love the role of social media. Ah. Um, 
Um, some of the missionaries have been on the podcast talking about wanting to be open in social media and their mission presence being a little bit nervous about that. But obviously, I've tracked your public Facebook posts and you've been really open about your orientation. And I think that signals to ward members that need to talk about this topic, I'm sure, and investigators as they're um, seeing who you are. And mm. I would just think the social media part of who you are allows many people to just know you're a safe person and social media can be in a very effective way. I've added, this is a little, I don't want to get too sidetracked in this. I've added my pronouns to my social media profile. That, that is something that some Latter-day Saints are comfortable doing. Some feel it's a political statement they're uncomfortable doing. And both of those you can feel however you want to feel about that. But for me, it's a way just to signal I'm a safe person mm. and that the Jacob Bolins in my circle know from looking at my social media profile and having my pronouns that I'm a safe person for them to open up. And so I'm not suggesting all missionaries around the church do that <laughs> um, or not do that, but it's just, you want to signal to people you're a safe person. And you've done that and really effectively. I wanted to read something from one of your social media posts and then we have some more things to get to. Um, this is a slide I use in my presentation. And when I talk, it's um, Elder Shane Carpenter, and it says, I've had, to, I've had time to reflect more on the last year of service to my Savior than any other prior. I remember when I first began back in 2020, fearing that I might have companions who would, understandably in mind, be fearful to live with me, much less serve and teach me. I remember when I was called to train for the first time, and the fear I had my trainee might detest his trainer because of something he didn't choose. I have found now, and in each of these cases, this is really powerful, listeners. Uh, my best friend, Jesus, helped me feel that maybe I could try to be my best to simply be there as myself. That, that while it took courage to step into something really scary, my identity as Son of God would continually carry me as I, as I could then attempt to show others their divine identity as well. He helped me see that my my authenticity as a gay missionary was and is one of the many identifiers that make up my creative whole. So that's a powerful Facebook post. I'll link to that in the show notes. It's a public Facebook post. <laughs> um, and I just thought that was terrific. And um, the other thought that came to my mind, and I don't want to do too much of the talking, is I think when you go to your mission reunions over the next decades, that you're going to have many missionaries come up to you and say, you prepared me for the LGBTQ people that now are in my life. I own children. I'm in my church work. I'm in my professional work. You are the first gay person I knew. People are hard to hate close up, move in, as Brene Brown says. And I had no idea the impact you'd have on me. And I think that would be true of wards. That'd be true of people you don't even know about that have listened and watched you on social media. So um, the totality of your mission experience, to me, you're seeing a lot of that with the Jacob Bolands, but there are hundreds and hundreds of other people that will be impacted in a positive way from your service. And I think it's someday God will take you to the top of a tall mountain and let you see what you've done and the good you've done because of your service. And, and um, some of that I think will become known to you over time, but some of that may not be until the next life. 
when God takes you to that mountain figuratively and lets you see what you've done. So that's me talking to other carpenters, a friend, but it's also talking to you out there that are wondering, could you do this? And what would it be like? But I wish I had a gay companion at this point. It wasn't really possible in 1980 because I never really listened to gay people until I was in my mid-50s. And um, if I had started listening to gay people in my 20s, um, I probably would have done much better in this space earlier. So I'd love you to talk about whatever else is on your mind. We haven't really talked about the trainings you did in your mission, your interaction with the general authority. So I don't know if you want to talk about either of those. Sure. First of all, thank you so much. This is why we love you, Richard. <laughs> we really do. We love you. Well, thank you. Um, I'm sure some of the other guests on your podcast have said this before, but whether they have or not, I repeat it now. We love you and we're grateful for you. Thank you. Um, yes, absolutely. So yes, I had been given the opportunity um, a little while into my mission, actually, to give a training. I think something that you mentioned just a moment ago, Richard, about how you were speaking to me, but you were also speaking to everyone else listening about the prospects of, of what might be possible serving a mission, being openly yourself, whatever that might look like, that God can show us what we've accomplished. I love that perspective so much. And um, when I initially, I'm not exactly sure how far into my mission this was. I think I must have been at least six months in or so. I, my mission president, he reached out to me because he had heard that there were some missionaries who were saying some negative things about me. And I, I had not even heard about these things. Over the course of my mission, I have been blessed that my experiences in having negative things said or done towards me have been very few. And my mission president, he's probably heard of more things than I have because he hears about everything that goes on. <laughs> That's just the nature of mission leaders. They hear, word gets around. And so he had heard about some negative things that some missionaries were saying. And so in an interview with me, he basically said, hey, this is going on and it's not okay. We, we need to do something about this. We recognize that there's a culture in our mission where missionaries are willing to say something as simple as, oh, that's so gay. Something like that. That's really common, not just among missions and missionaries, but among young people in general or really any age of people. A phrase as simple as that's so gay um, or other phrases of that nature. And my mission president said, you know, this is not okay. We need to do something about this. And so we set up, um, we have zone conferences every six weeks in our mission where essentially, because our mission is so small, I know not every other mission is able to do this kind of format, but we will get together as like half the mission or even hold the entire mission. And during that time, the mission president, his wife, his counselors, the assistants to the president, and other mission leaders will give trainings. And so he had the idea that during the coming zone conference, I could share just a few very basic things that I had experienced and that we had noticed about the culture in our mission. And so I remember being absolutely terrified. I was like, I'm about to stand up in front of almost the entire mission. And I'm gonna, I'm about to tell them that they shouldn't be saying things like, oh, that's so gay. 
Because of course I wanted to tell them that. Of course I wanted to express to them how painful it can be when you hear something like that from another missionary that you're working with. Um, And so we created a plan. I remember getting up there and first I explained briefly the LGBTQ acronym because there are so many missionaries who don't even know what that acronym means. And my mission president said, I'm not even really sure. I know exactly what the, what just that part of the acronym is. And so I was able to share that with him. And he said, it might be good just to give some very standard knowledge about being gay or about being in the LGBTQ experience and what's that and what that's like. If we create a foundation that, hey, this is a reality for people, then all of a sudden um, it clicks in someone's mind that saying something like, oh, that's so gay, it clicks that that could be offensive. And so I went through the LGBTQ acronym, explained that to the whole mission, (laughs) and then took some time to talk about kindness. That was the focus of my little training. It wasn't about exactly how to teach LGBTQ individuals. It wasn't about what to expect and what to do if you're gay or bisexual or transgender or anything else. It was really just about being kind and about being who we signed up to be, which was to be representatives of Jesus Christ. And a representative of Jesus Christ does not marginalize people. A representative of Jesus Christ does not look at or talk about someone as less. Even if, even if it's unintentional, and I don't mean to sound harsh, but sometimes we have to point out the unintentional things that we say that can be hurtful so as to learn and to grow and to be better. Um, and I'm not void of that. I say things too, <laughs> by which I could absolutely be better and I'm still learning, I'm still growing. And so it was a wonderful, wonderful training. And then we got feedback from this training and it was really positive feedback. There were many missionaries who came to me and actually opened up to me and came out to me. And that was a very unique experience. I don't mean to claim that if a missionary were to go and were to share in the same way that I have, that they will have the exact same experience. But this was one of the immense blessings of sharing just a message about kindness in which someone else then had the confidence and the courage to open up about themselves and say, I was struggling to be a missionary and I'm already here. I'm already here and I'm struggling and I don't want to be here anymore. But because you've talked about something that others are too afraid to mention, I now feel like I can keep going and that makes it worth it. And so because of that reception that we received, um, there were a lot of missionaries that started asking questions about teaching, about teaching the law of chastity, about teaching about eternal marriage, things like that. And so my mission president had the idea, let's do a Q&A. And so we scheduled for later in the future to have a mission-wide Q&A where any of the missionaries could come. And it was me, my mission president and his wife. And we simply just took questions and we just discussed. And it probably went for about an hour and a half, two hours. And we just talked about our experiences. And I talked about that quote from President Ballard that I shared earlier and talked about how we don't need all of the answers to represent he who does have all the answers and who will eventually give us all the answers. (laughs) That's why we teach people about faith and about repentance and about baptism so that they can express their willingness to go forward without having all the answers. 
So that Q&A was a special experience. We ended up doing basically the same type of format again, probably about six months ago. The first one that I did was I was maybe six months out in the mission. And the last one I did was about six months ago. So I was probably 18 months into the mission. And so both of those experiences were really, really powerful. And I think to mission leaders out there, um, you may not have an openly gay missionary, but I think being able to have a discourse in which you can address some of these more common than you might think concerns can open space for a really beautiful and spirit-filled meeting. You know, I remember there were uh, some missionaries who had heard about it in advance who were worried about this Q&A becoming a contentious environment due to differing opinions about the way to handle certain doctrine or policies, let's say. But it was one of the most spiritual experiences of my whole mission to be able to hear other people just bear their heart and say, I had this friend that we taught and we didn't really know exactly how to help them because they had seen something online about how the LDS church hates gay people. And so we didn't know what to do because they were convinced that we hated them. I've had missionaries come up to me with things like that. And I don't always know exactly what to say, (laughs) but we had the opportunity in this meeting to just talk about the value of being kind and expressing what we do know while understanding that we will yet know more. So those were two of those experiences. I hope, I hope that explanation sufficed. (laughs) Um, Listeners. I just, um, what um, Elder Carpenter is describing happened in his mission. I don't know if I think that's the first time that may have happened in the whole church. And um, I'm not sure it been possible 10, 15, certainly years ago. And um, But to look at um, you and the, your, the gifts you could bring to the mission and your ability to talk about this and then putting you to work, I have to think the belonging that creates for you and that you're needed here and that you're a full authentic self to go back to your original goal is actually blessing this mission. It's blessing the missionaries. It's blessing their ability to teach. It's giving them foundational principles as they navigate this space post-mission because they're talking about on their mission. The Q&A um, gives them tools. As This isn't going to, you know, as they get in their 20s and 30s, this topic's not going to not go. It's not going to end. It will just continue to be talked about, especially as some of those become parents of LGBTQ kids. So that is powerful. And I love the way you felt the spirit and love the way that Q&A was not contentious. And so I don't know if that's possible in every mission, um, but I hope that that becomes normalized and it's just part of creating Zion and, and we're using the diversity of all of God's children to help people come into Christ. And mm. our church is um, the body of Christ that Paul talked about in Corinthians. Um, so I love that. I love that. and. Um, I love what your mission president did, and there's no fear about who you are. In fact, it's a good thing who you are. And um, if a mission president, a priesthood leader responds that about this is a good thing about who you are, it helps you to know how you should feel about yourself. You know this, and I think your heavenly parents love you. Um, and they would never create fear or shame around who you are. But often we do as a culture because we just don't know how to handle and how to talk. And so, and I love, I just love this whole experience. And I love for mission leaders that don't have openly LGBTQ missionaries that talking about this subject 
allows them, their missionaries to know they're safe. Just mm-hmm. like you talking about it, a lot of people opened up to you about being LGBTQ, but you become a safe person, whatever they need to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I would guess missionaries are opening up to you about lots of complicated stuff, not LGBTQ, or they just know you're a safe person. So as, as local leaders, and in this case, mission leaders open up and talk about difficult subjects and show kindness to people, um, that allows people to know they're a safe person. And if you don't think there's LGBTQ people in your mission or your or in your ward or in your young men's or young women's, you can still say kind things and you should say kind things about LGBTQ people like President Platt did and you've done in Sister Platt because then it sends a message that you're a safe person to talk about the realities of your life. It could be sexual orientation or gender identity or just other stuff. People need safe people to open up to. So those are terrific principles and I think Christ was the role model of that Mm -hmm. um, with how kind to use your word he was to everybody. Um, I wanted to read from my book just another example. Um, I'm reminded of Elder Minor in the 2000 in 2019. He was in Oklahoma City, and he writes during one leadership conference for a mission. The subject came about how we can improve, and he's Elder Minor is a great ally. Um, I raised my hand and talked about how we could be more sensitive to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. By stopping the gay jokes, quote, we are missionaries of Jesus Christ and his restored church as examples of missionaries set the stage for the way community sees us. Shouldn't we be the archetype of his love for all of his children? That day there seemed to resolve to repent and be more sensitive to the silent majority of gay members um, and friends. So um, Elder Minor ended up coming on the podcast, just a terrific ally, and I'm I'm friends with his parents in my high school days. Um, so talk about, I know you've had an experience with the general authority. Do you have time to talk about that or anything else you want to talk about? Um, actually, yes. And I was hoping that I could talk about, there's just an experience that keeps coming to my mind. Talk about that. <laughs> yes. And it's it's different than, than the general authority experience. As wonderful as that experience was, um, the experience that's coming to my mind is one that... Is deeply personal because it's an experience that other missionaries can relate to. It's it's one that I may be one of, if not the first openly gay missionary, but this experience is something that many people can relate to. And it's an experience that has allowed me and pushed me to want to create not just safe spaces, but productive spaces for change. I don't remember how long I was into my mission. I may have been six to eight months into my mission or so, maybe a little after that, where I received, um, and I got permission from this sibling of mine to share this story as well, if it was something that I felt I should share. Um, I received a note, I think it was an email from my sibling, my older sibling. My older sibling is gender fluid and bisexual. And they are married to um, their husband. And in this email, they expressed to me and to our whole family, I think it was shared with all of us, that they were going to step away from the church for some time and that going to church was no longer healthy for them and that it was something by which they did not feel closer to the Savior. And so they were going to step away. And I think... For missionaries, 
return missionaries or missionaries now who can relate to hearing a direct family member tell you that they are leaving what you are actively representing. Um, it's hard. It really is hard. And that's not to diminish the experience that my sibling or anyone else who has left the church has had, because I'd like to get to that in a second. That's probably the more important part to this story. Um, but it was a really hard experience to continue going through the couple weeks and months after that. Um, not even, not even worrying so much about them not going to church, but just thinking, I, I just want them to be okay. I want them to know that someone's there for them and that they have a support system and that Christ is still <laughs> there for them, whether they're going to church or not. That was what ate at me the most. And so I, uh, later on, there ended up being a missionary actually that I worked pretty closely with, um, who, not a companion, but another missionary who ended up struggling deeply because a good friend of hers had left the church. And I remember we were having a conversation about that. Our mission leaders were there too. We were having a meeting about social media at the time. We all worked in social media efforts in our mission. We were having this meeting and this topic came up and the sister missionary started sharing about this really tough experience that she was having with her friend leaving. And uh, I just, I remember opening up about my sibling leaving and about other individuals in my direct family and extended family who had either chosen to leave the church or who were struggling with staying and how hard that was, not how hard that was for me, not at the prospect of them leaving in and of itself, but it was hard for me knowing that they, that they were experiencing pain um, by being at church, which is something that I hope we should never have to experience. You know, we as missionaries, one of our key indicators, if, our, if you will, our key indicators are to find people who are interested in the gospel, to bring them to church, um, to put them on date to be baptized, and then to baptize them and give them the gift of the Holy Ghost. These are these key indicators that we look at to see um, how well we're doing, if you will. Church attendance is one of them because church is meant to be a place where anyone can come and one, renew their covenants with the Lord. And two, be with people who lift them and love them because every single one of us is going through something. And so when this sister missionary was opening up about their friend, I thought about different family members that I have had, including my sibling who left and the ne negative experiences that they had and how painful that was for me thinking we can do better. <laughs> we can create a space where someone can come and can express a concern because we all have them. And not just, um, my thoughts are jumping around. I apologize, but creating not just a safe space, creating safe spaces are important and beautiful. But I think after creating a safe space, that safe space can evolve into a constructive and productive space by which change can be born. And I think church can easily be one of those spaces as we share our stories. My sibling and their husband, they decided to leave for a couple of reasons, actually. It wasn't simply because my sibling is gender fluid and bisexual, and so they didn't feel like they fit into the stereotypical LDS mold, if you will. But they are also in a biracial marriage, and they experienced 
um, a decent bit of racism in their ward, some very harmful things that were said to them. And so for them, going to church wasn't, it was difficult to be in a space around individuals who had said those things. And when I think about that, what hurts me the most is not only seeing that my sibling has been hurt by something that someone else has said, but recognizing that we all go to church in the first place to partake of the sacrament. If the sacrament didn't exist, we wouldn't go to church. There wouldn't be a point. Um, that is why we go to church. And I say that with confidence um, because Elder Bednar came to our mission. He did a tour and that was a statement that he made. So I'm quoting him on that. <laughs> but anyway, the sacrament is why we go to church in the first place. It is the main reason. And I want my sibling to be able to partake of the sacrament and not have to worry about negative experiences at church where they can come and they can take the sacrament and not worry about someone's going to about what someone will say to them because of their biracial marriage or because they're gender fluid and bisexual that they, that, that, excuse me, English, but that they can come and that they can experience coming closer to Christ at church, just like anyone else should be able to. And so I had this special experience with this sister missionary where we were able to talk about this some. And later on, since then, it's been quite some time since then, I've felt the necessity to create both safe and productive spaces for change um, by which we can invite others to come to church and expect that they will come because that they know that they will be able to renew their covenants and receive love and growth. Um, it kind of sucks as a missionary to try and invite someone to church, this key indicator that we have, right? The missionary work isn't just about numbers, but we invite people to church so that they can have these experiences. And if that's not the experience they're having, if they're not having a positive experience, then perhaps something needs to change. And so I look at the experience of my sibling and their husband, and I'm sure that they'll listen to this too. And I hope that they know how loved they are and anyone else who has had any type of experience like theirs. Um, they are part of the reason why I stay. Ben Shalati put it very, very well in his book. I don't remember the exact quote, but he talked about an experience where someone came to him and asked him why he stays. Why does he represent a church that actively has moments in, in its history that are not helpful towards or kind towards LGBTQ individuals? And his answer is what I would say my answer is, which is essentially not in his, his exact words, but is essentially that I go to church because I want to become closer to Jesus Christ, but that if there is no, if there's no diversity at church, how are we to know how we can improve? Wow. If everyone does everything the same, if everyone acts, looks, and is like their neighbor, then how are we to create a constructive space? If I go to church like my companion does, and if I do all the same things he does, then I may not learn what the Lord would have me learn. So I choose to stay because church is about something more than just a good community. I mentioned this earlier, but it's about eternity. It's about renewing our covenants. And we should be able to do so without worrying about a lack of kindness. And so I will stay in church even after my mission because I want to show other people that they can come too and that they can belong and that they can renew their covenants, even if they've had negative experiences in the past. I absolutely do hope that my sibling will one day come back to church. 
not because I just want them to be there, but because I hope that one day church will be a place where they feel they can be to renew their covenants. So I just wanted to share that experience. If anyone out there has ever felt similar to this, you are absolutely not alone. Um, And we've got each other. Um, I assume you're about 21, but your spiritual maturity is much higher than that. um, That's a really thoughtful segment. And to me, you just taught love. Um, There's no transaction. There's no, it's just love. People deserve to be loved just because they're children of our heavenly parents. And non-agenda love is to me the thing that heals and brings us together. Non-transactional love. And that was a perfect example of how to do that. Just honors people agency and love them. Mm-hmm. I wrote down as, and this is probably our last segment, but I want to see if you have any closing thoughts. I thought came to my mind for you um, preparing for a mission. Maybe you should be praying you'll get companion that's very different than you. Um, I think the safer thing is to, if you're, I mean, I wanted a guy that played sports and could talk sports with me and some of my interests. And, but I think back on my own mission, some of the best, most effective companionships is where we were very different. Um, and we learned that that could help us reach more people as our joint ability to connect with people and bring them into Christ. So Maybe um, you should be praying you get an LGBT companion or somebody that's very different than you in ways because it'll help your personal growth um, and it'll also help you reach other people you couldn't just reach in sameness. Um, I love this quote from Sister McConkie. I'm sure you're familiar with it, Elder Carpenter. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't marginalize people. People marginalize people. We need to fix that. So I like the way you look inward and say sometimes since we're in the restored church and we have all this unique doctrine that came through the restoration, it's hard to look inward and say, Lord, is it I, or what do I need to do differently? Or am I causing people to have a difficult experience? So I love the way you shared that. And I think we'd be confident enough in our doctrine to be able to look inward and say, what can we do better? Um, Mm -hmm. People aren't just leaving because they want to sin or they're not really fully committed or some of the narrative, they leave sometimes because they've had very difficult experiences to feel like they're actually wanted and needed and feel belonging. And and so we just, and sometimes we want to sort of create a, we need to create a judgment-free zone. I've always felt the gates really wide at the con- con- congregation level. There's no belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome. Um, the temple, the gate narrows a little bit, but let's not pull the the requirements, the temple, and make it part of our culture and our wards so that we're looking at everybody by temple recommend questions or what we think is we should be looking on how we can love and support people and and have congregations. We're all doing our best to come into Christ as you taught. Um, If your mom is listening, this is a proud mama moment for you, Sister Carpenter, and your dad and your family. Um, you're going to hear your son's farewell maybe after this podcast comes out, and that'll be another proud moment. But this is an incredibly proud mama moment for you and the son you've raised and his deep understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his courage to be vulnerable. He is a warrior. He is a trailblazer. Um, but this is an incredibly proud moment. I have to think your heavenly parents feel the same way about you. Um, and this, to me, is a template for the life you're going to live. Um, because you're encouraged to be open and real and vulnerable and have hard conversations. That's needed so much. And you've developed the skills to do this. And 
Um, my guess is that if you came on the podcast for 20 or 30 years, you would have um, boatloads of stories to tell about your personal ministry within your own life. And so that's, uh, you know, my feelings about Elder Carpenter, but all of you that feel um, that want to have hope in who you are is actually a good thing. And there should be no shame. No one should look in the mirror and feel shame for how they're created. And your mission culture largely is matching that. And that's a good thing. Um, any closing thoughts you'd like to share, Elder Carpenter? Yes. I do have one last thing I'd love to share very Good. briefly. Shouldn't take too long. <laughs> but my last thought, um, you reminded me of this as you spoke of my mom. My mom, second only perhaps to Jesus Christ, is my best friend. And there's something that she would always say growing up. If I struggled, and I've remembered this throughout my mission, if I struggled with something and I was trying to figure something out, if I had anxiety, if I was trying to find an answer to a question or a solution to a problem, she would often say, have you included Jesus in that yet? Have you talked to God yet? You should talk to him about that and see what he thinks. And ever since my mom taught me that principle, I've strived, not perfectly, but I've strived to include Jesus Christ in every decision that I make, every single one. And that included my mission. You mentioned earlier, Richard, that some individuals may feel prompted to go on their mission in the closet. And that very well may, very well may be the case. I know that regardless of any of the decisions that we may make in our very short lives, if we include Jesus Christ in them, somehow joy becomes a part of the experience. My mom is a great example of that to me. She's had a very difficult life, as many, if not most of us have, but she's had a life full of joy. And I hope that mine can be one of full of joy like hers has been while I include Jesus Christ in it. And I can say with confidence, that my missionary experience has been full of joy because I actively chose to include Jesus Christ in every decision I made along the journey. Um, great closing segment focused on Christ. Um, that is terrific. I look forward to seeing, I would assume I'm going to see a picture on your mom's social media of the Denver airport and a big mama <laughs> Missionary son hug. We've had four of those in our family, and um, that will be a great day for you and your mom. Um, that will happen in the next ten days when we're recording. I also invite our listeners to listen to questions from the closet with Ben Charlie. I think you've already recorded an episode for that. It may come out after this episode, but to hear more of Elder Carpenter's story from those terrific hosts that I admire so much and have learned so much from. Um, but act on the impressions that you felt. My guess is that an elder carpenter, I think, would share the same, that you may have felt some impressions on what you need to do either in your personal life or in your circle of influence to improve the experience for others. Act on those impressions, just like Elder Carpenter has as he's bravely shared his story. So we'd love to keep going, but um, you probably have work to do tonight and your mission, your lunch hour, your dinner hour is probably coming to a close. and. Um, but Elder Carpenter, thank you. Thank you to all your companions, your mission, all the people that have helped you. But thank you and 
and our Savior. So this is Elder Carpenter from Anaheim, California, and, and Richard Osser signing up from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.